This is the Notorious Bakersfield Podcast. I'm Robert Peterson, the host and creator of the Notorious Bakersfield Podcast. Welcome to the 27th episode of this podcast. I hope you all had a wonderful week. You may have noticed on the last episode, I tried out a different theme song. I then asked listeners for their opinions on which theme song they preferred, the original one or the new one, and overwhelmingly, the original theme song won, so I'll be sticking with that original theme. Here's an update on the Halloween tour. Remember I said I'd donate a portion to each tour purchased to the Alliance Against Family Violence and Sexual Assault? Two months later, and all the financial matters have been settled, I will be making a $500 donation to the Alliance uh, later this week. Keep an eye on the Notorious Bakersfield social media pages for that announcement. I wanted to give you an update on the last episode about the victim, Avelino Diaz Aguilar. I asked if anyone had any more information about Aguilar. I asked you to contact me. A listener best a listener messaged me to tell me Avelino Aguilar was his grandfather's brother. As you'd expect for someone who passes away at 22 years old, Avelino's life was just getting started. His family was from Button Willow and he was the youngest of five kids. He spent the entirety of his four years of adulthood serving in the United States Army. He'd just been discharged right before he was murdered in 1959. And that segues into the subject of this story. On the last episode, I told you about the 1959 murder of Avelino Aguilar, a young man killed by Rudy Cheyenne Cadena, and how Cadena, while he was in prison for that murder, rose through the ranks of the Mexican Mafia. Cadena was brutally assassinated while in prison in 1972. This episode is going to cover the 1975 double murder of two Bakersfield brothers, a Mexican Mafia-ordered hit that was in retaliation for Cheyenne Cadena's death. This is the story of the Reyes brothers' double murder. Cheyenne sends his regards. In 1972, Daniel Woodsy Reyes was incarcerated. He was a member of the Nuestra Familia, the Mexican Mafia's fiercest rival. Woodsy was in Chino the same time Rudy Cheyenne Cadena was being held there in 1972. Cheyenne was one of the highest-ranking members of the Mexican Mafia. Coincidentally, both Cheyenne and Woodsy were from Bakersfield, two Bakersfield boys belonging to rival gangs. Cheyenne Cadena was assassinated by Nuestra Familia members in December 1972 in Chino. There's no indication that Woodsy Reyes participated in the assassination, but he talked a lot of crap about Cheyenne Cadena and delighted in his death. Even after he was on parole back in Bakersfield, Woodsy continued to talk smack about Cheyenne. 
Word got back to the Mexican Mafia's leadership about how Woodsy Reyes was disparaging Cheyenne Cadena's memory. So the Mexican Mafia members decided to retaliate and ordered a hit on Daniel Woodsy Reyes. Ramon Mundo Mendoza, Daniel Bracamonte, and Edward Gonzalez, all from the Los Angeles area, traveled to Bakersfield in the early morning hours of October 9, 1975, to extract their revenge. Once in Bakersfield, they met up with local Mexican Mafia member Loria Cyclona Perez. The group scouted out and staked out the house Woodsy Reyes shared with his older brother, Ronald. The house was in the 2400 block of Loma Linda Drive, a few blocks south of Our Lady of Perpetual Help Church on Columbus. One of Cheyenne Cadena's sisters lived in the same neighborhood, and the group used her house to plan their attack on the Reyes brothers' residence. Cyclona informed the group that Ronald Reyes, Woodsy's brother, had the hots for her, so they decided to use that as their way of gaining entry to the Reyes brothers' house. About 9 a.m., the group parked a couple of houses away from the targeted house. Mundo Mendoza and the other males waited out of sight as Cyclona knocked on the front door of the Loma Linda Drive house. As soon as the door opened for the young woman, the men rushed the door and forced their way in. The person who answered the door wasn't Woodsy, their target. It was Woodsy's older brother, Ronald. Even though Ronald wasn't the target, he became collateral damage. The group took Ronald Reyes to a bedroom. They asked him where his brother was, and Ronald told them he was on a date and he didn't know when he'd be home. The intruders tortured and repeatedly stabbed the older Reyes brother. The group left the mortally wounded Ronald Reyes in the bedroom while they planned their ambush of Woodsy when he returned. They needed to decide how they'd handle a situation where Woodsy might return with an innocent victim. They concluded that any adult witness would need to be eliminated. The group had been waiting several hours inside the Reyes brothers' living room when they heard a car park in front of the house. Looking out the window, they saw Woodsy with his girlfriend approaching the house. Mundo Mendoza was designated to get the girl while the others would isolate Woodsy. As soon as the couple walked through the door, a 38 caliber was leveled at Woodsy's head. He protested as he was marched into a different bedroom from where his brother's body was. With their target safely out of the room, Mundo, pointing a gun at Woodsy's female companion, noticed her staring, not at his face, but at the gun. Mundo quickly covered her eyes and told her not to look at him. He told her they were there for Woodsy, not her. He repeatedly warned her not to look at him. Mundo blindfolded, muzzled, and bound the young woman. He felt that since she never actually looked at his face, he didn't need to kill her. Once the female was securely immobilized, Mundo made his way to the bedroom where Woodsy was being held. Before going through with the killing, 
They want to know where Woodsy kept his guns, drugs, and money. He refused to tell them. Mundo Mendoza looked down on Woodsy. And so there wasn't any question as to why the group was there. He looked Woodsy in the eyes and in Spanish said, Cheyenne sends his regards. The group took turns stabbing Woodsy as he pleaded for his life and begged for help. Mundo Mendoza fired four rounds into Woodsy's body. As he lay on the floor, Cyclona kicked and spit on the dying man. Mundo handed the gun to Cyclona and told her to save her energy and do it the right way. Cyclona fired another bullet into the dying man's body. The group then ransacked the house looking for things to steal. Before leaving, someone lit a pillow on fire. The group walked to their car. As they did, an alert neighbor took notice of the unfamiliar vehicle and its license number when the suspects fled the scene. As smoke from the smoldering pillow filled the house, Woodsy's female companion struggled to undo her bound wrist and ankles. The smoke was getting thicker and thicker. She finally was able to break free and call the Kern County Sheriff's Office. She looked into a bedroom and saw Woodsy lying on the floor in a pool of blood. She then exited the front door. The first Kern County deputy arrived on scene at about 3.35 p.m. The female told the deputy there was a gunshot victim in the house. The deputy then ran into the house. The first bedroom he reached, he found Woodsy Reyes and carried him out to the front yard. By this time, an ambulance arrived on scene. Both the deputy and ambulance attendant thought they saw Woodsy's eyelid move. Believing he was still alive, Woodsy was transported to Kern General Hospital. The deputy re-entered the house to look for the source of the smoke. He found the smoldering pillow and carried it out to the front yard. The deputy entered the house a third time. It was during this search that the deputies discovered Ronald Reyes, Woodsy's older brother. He felt for a pulse. There wasn't one. The discovery of another victim inside the house came as a surprise to the female who had been bound, gagged, and held hostage. She had no idea Ronald Reyes's body was in the bedroom when she and Woodsy returned to the home. Woodsy Reyes was declared dead on arrival when the ambulance reached the hospital. Their autopsies revealed that both the Reyes brothers had each been stabbed 16 times, but only Woodsy had been stabbed and shot. In addition to his knife wounds, Woodsy had five bullet wounds. I'll be right back after this. If someone who's on your Christmas list is a fan of this podcast, they might want a Notorious Bakersfield t-shirt. They're available for purchase. Go to NotoriousBakersfield.com and click the store link. There's also a link to it in the show notes. Be sure to follow this podcast's social media pages. Pictures related to each episode are posted. You can find Notorious Bakersfield on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
An all-points bulletin was broadcast on law enforcement radio frequencies with the suspects and vehicle description that was provided by the alert neighbor. Shortly after 6 p.m., about two and a half hours after fleeing the crime scene, a California Highway Patrol officer spotted a car matching the suspect's vehicle on the grapevine on Interstate 5. When the suspects noticed the CHP unit, Mundo Mendoza told someone in the vehicle to throw the murder weapon out the window. The CHP officer caught up and started following the suspects southbound on Interstate 5 around Gorman. He waited for other law enforcement officers for backup before conducting a traffic stop. Backup didn't get in the vicinity until around the Castaic exit of Interstate 5. That's where the traffic stop was initiated. The suspects exited the freeway and all four were taken into custody. A truck driver called in to report he'd seen a vehicle matching the suspects throw a gun out their car window and onto the freeway. By the time the weapon was retrieved from the road, it had been run over multiple times. The suspects were transported back to Kern County. All four pleaded innocent during their arraignments. The usual preliminary hearings were held for the four suspects through the end of 1975 and the beginning of 1976. But these hearings were held in secrecy. They were closed to the public and the media. In one of those hearings, a judge decided Cyclona Perez should be tried separately from the other three suspects. Why this was decided, I have no idea. While Cyclona was in Kern County Jail awaiting trial, a note she was trying to pass to another inmate was intercepted by a jailer. In this note, Cyclona made reference to the Mexican Mafia being involved in the double murder. The contents of the note were published in the Bakersfield Californian, and since the note directly implicated Cyclona, she pleaded guilty to the lesser charge to second-degree burglary. And because of the publicity around that note, the case against the other three suspects began falling apart. Neighbors who witnessed the suspects leaving the crime scene became less cooperative with prosecutors. Oh, and remember the gun that was thrown onto the freeway? It was run over and damaged so badly that ballistic testing was impossible to match the gun to bullets retrieved from the murder scene. The evidence against the remaining three became so weak, a judge dismissed several charges against them. Anxious to get an in indictment against the suspects, Kern County Assistant DA Clarence Westra took the case to a Kern County grand jury, and the defendants waited and waited. Eventually, Superior Court Judge John Naren dismissed all charges against the remaining suspects on the grounds that they were denied their constitutional rights to a speedy trial by Kern County prosecutors. Three double murder suspects walked. After being released for the double murder of the Reyes brothers, Ramon Mundo Mendoza left the Mexican Mafia. He works with law enforcement com 
to combat organized crime. He is currently in a government witness protection program. Resources used for this story, the Bakersfield Californian, the LA Times, an interview given by Ramon Mundo Mendoza to Journey to Justice Channel, and Mundo's book, The Mexican Mafia, From Altar Boy to Hitman, The Gang of Gangs. Beginning next week and continuing into Christmas week will be my Christmas-themed episodes. Next week, I'll tell you about the killer Santa Claus in Bakersfield in 1989. Come back next week for that notorious Bakersfield story. Until then, see you back Tuesday next week. This is Robert Peterson. Have a good week.